to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Obviously, his organs and main organs were affected and his brain was quite literally being crushed by fluid while it was trying to develop. So he literally would have brain damage as well as intellectual disability. So what that looked like, they had no idea. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Sarah Kearns is a cop, a mama, and also really instant and Facebook famous. She met her man Brad at 19. They fell in love, married, and one day on the way to work, Sarah says to Brad, let's just have a baby. Brad and Sarah fell pregnant quickly and easily, but that's where the spontaneous, easy, fun part ends. Sarah was given the worst possible news a pregnant woman could receive. Sarah was told at 28 weeks pregnant, she would have to give birth to a stillborn baby. They were optionless. They were told there was only one way to do things, and that way was truly traumatic. Content warning, if you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. I think the cliche is that young people just fall pregnant really easy. Oh, absolutely. Was that yep. the case? Yeah. Yeah. We fell straight away. Like, well, that was simple. Great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and did you have any, like, were you really sick? Did you have anxiety through the pregnancy? Like, how were you? Oh, no, we were just super, so chill. We just were so excited. We just It was just our next adventure. A little bit sick in the morning. So obviously I was working 12 and a half hour shifts, right, as a police Crazy. officer. So I came off the street and was working in the station so I was a bit safer. Um, but long shifts, like, so, you know, leave home at 4.30 in the morning, not home till 7, 7.30 at night, and you do two day shifts, two night shifts. So you're just wiped for those days. Not ideal as well for pregnancy exhaustion. No, not ideal. Um, but you just did it. And I was just, we were just super excited. Like you just sucked it up and, and off we went. Um, yeah, so I I would get to work every morning at 5, 5.30 in the morning and walk. We had a bit of a, like probably a 10-minute walk from where we parked our cars to the station. So I'd vomit in the same bin, uh, the so same you saw spot you, every morning. You vomit from the night before. Yeah. <laughs> it's so and I'd be like, okay, off I go. And I would be, I'd feel really well. One cheeky spew yep. and, and fine. Off I go for the rest of the day. So you, you go through the, the, I guess the moments you hit the 12 week mark and you're yep. excited. You tell people. Yeah. Had, did you do like the kind of normal testing? Yeah. Part? Yeah. So we had like a dating scan early on. Um, and then we did the big 12 week one, which was like the one that everyone says, this is your safe mark. Yes. This is the, to make sure everything's okay. You know, you pass this one and you're smooth sailing. So we had the test done and they were perfect, extremely low risk. So you have a blood test and a bit of a um, ultrasound and then they come back with a number. They spit a number out at you. Um, and ours is one in 47,000. So we had a one in 47,000 chance of him having Down syndrome or any other genetic disorder. Is that good odds? Yeah, it was like the best oh. the best risk category you could have, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, we high-fived and we toddled out of, the, st- out of the, <laughs> the ultrasound place and ready to go. And just started preparing nursery and yeah. getting things ready. Yeah, I was, yeah. So did you know the sex at that point? No. So this is before the days of like the harmony tests and things like that where you could cheat and get it done early. Um, So the only, the next step was 20 weeks. So I was quite. a big gap. Yeah. Yeah. Two months. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, that's just how it was. 
so you 20 weeks we went to the scanning place and that was the big gender reveal we wanted to find out so we um did you have your odds on any which way not really I knew Brad wanted a boy um and I was like indifferent so I then kind of wanted a boy too because I knew he wanted a boy Mm. and I thought that would be nice to have as your first um but no we're just super excited to actually see like the baby again and see how much had grown and um yeah, so we went in and they they started the scan and we weren't pros at this stage of ultrasounds or how they normally do them, but we could we quickly worked out like there was something not quite right. Um, he would he kept going back to the brain, so he would sit on the brain for a while and take heaps of measurements and then he'd move to the next part and I would think, oh, okay, we're done with that now, and then he'd go back to the brain. And I, Brad and I kept looking at each other like, why is he doing that? Like how many measurements do they need in this one spot? And it seemed to be going longer than what we'd expected. Um, and Brad finally just kind of said to him, is everything okay? Like what are you looking for? Um, and he kind of went, oh, Oh, there's too much fluid in the brain. We think I think the numbers are too big. Is he allowed to say that, this guy? Because usually they get someone else to yeah, read the chart. I don't know. And it, we were just like, and we were like, oh, but it's okay. And he goes, oh, I don't, I don't think so. And because it, it just knocked me over. Like, and I, I literally think I just started crying at that point. Like, I didn't even. And you're laying on your back with your shirt up. It's you're so vulnerable. Like. And um, he said, I'll go, and, I'll go and get the doctor. So out he walked. And Brad and I were just like, what is happening? Like everything was perfect and it had just literally fallen down. Mm. Like, and we didn't even know what yet. So the doctor came back in and they started, um, you know, checking the brain again and, and we're like, what's going on? Like just tell us what's going on. Um, and he explained like the ventricles around the brain were full of fluid and they were too big. The measurements were like 17 millimetres instead of one millimetre. And effectively, the fluid is crushing the brain matter as the brain's trying to develop. Oh my God. The sonographer could tell we were upset. Obviously, I was upset. Um, and he said to us, do you want to know the gender? And, um, and I said to him, like, does it even matter? And Brad goes, yeah, tell us, tell us what it is. And he goes, oh, it's a boy. And Brad looked at me and he said, oh, Sarah, I'll have a little buddy. Um, And then, yeah, so he found out he was a boy. We're still at this point like, okay, but it's going to be okay though, right? Like we're going to just fix it, you know? And they said, oh, look, you need to go and see this special unit at the hospital. Um, So we'll let you go from here. We'll let them know that they'll be in touch and they'll get you in and out we walked out the front door and we're like, well, now what? And mm. that that's when we then were in limbo. Like the you worst. Just, yeah, you just get stuck in what's going to happen now. Um, and then we left and waited days. I was, I think it was like a good, might have even been close to a week. Wow. It was like, I remember it was the end of the week. So it was like had to wait for the weekend to go by and a few days. Um, and then we went into like the specialist unit in the hospital, which was like, you know, the prenatal unit for anyone with issues in their pregnancy. So, you know, all the mums and dads in that waiting room with us were there because it wasn't great. Like it wasn't a normal sitting in an obstetrician's room, you know. Um, and we got inside, they did more scans, like a longer scan, Um, And they were picking up things with the organs as they went through. Um, And they sort of said to us, look, all of these organ issues, the fluid in the brain, it looks like it's a genetic disorder. These things are an indication of a genetic disorder. So they advised an amniocentesis. Oh, God. I've heard of them. Yeah. So the needle goes, they take a bit of the fluid from the womb, from the inside with the baby. So can you explain how that they get that fluid? Because it's quite invasive. Yeah, so it's under ultrasound. Um, so you're just laying back like a normal ultrasound and they literally insert the needle into the womb via ultrasound. So Brad Through said, your belly. Through your belly. So Brad said like he could literally see on the ultrasound machine the needle going in next to the baby's head. And the risk of, um, how do I say it nicely, of 
ending the pregnancy is quite high then, yeah. by doing, by rupturing. You're rupturing it, yeah. So you then can go into labour. Um, basically the fear is that your waters will then break because they've pierced a hole in the sack. Right. Um, so I was literally sent home to don't move, just go lay down, feet up, literally don't move. Like mm-hmm. let let it reseal and reheal and um, – yeah, so and, and how are you feeling after I mean you get this huge amount of information that there's fluid on the brain, there are some organ issues. Yeah. What do they say post test? Yeah. So you have to wait another week for the results. So I remember again it was the end of the week, so we had to wait for the weekend and the results to come back. They were looking for Down syndrome. That's what they oh. had said that the indications were there for. So we um t- turned to the internet, turned to Google, start Googling. The worst, right? But the only thing you have. Yeah. So um it's like called hydrocephalus or something of is meaning too much fluid in the brain. Um, and we just find like forum after forum of like people telling their stories and this doctor in Switzerland can put a shunt in at the back of the baby's brain at birth and remove the fluid and we're like, you know, that was like a positive thing at that point for us. We were like, look at this in Switzerland. And Brad's like, well, we just go to Switzerland. Like <laughs> it's just what we do. We'll like, fix it. We'll fix it. Um, and then – we got the results back. He was he had Down syndrome, so we were the one in forty seven thousand that they had told us that was our thing. We were the one. Um, so, just... is that also another? Because this is a whole lot of information now. Yeah, and you're at this point twenty two weeks. Yeah, twenty two, twenty three, moving into twenty four weeks. This is a really hard question for me to ask, but. Do are you taken through and guided to what life would look like for that child, and then are you given a choice to terminate if you want? Yeah, so there is a cutoff um, to do a medical termination, like a termination for medical reasons, they mm-hmm. call it. Um, and I I don't know exactly, I can't remember anymore what what that was, whether it's twenty four or 26 weeks or there's a number um and basically abortion termination is illegal so it has to go to a panel of people so they start off by sending you to a genetic counselor and these people are like they told us that they would tell us what quality of life he would have with the issues that he had right not just the down syndrome but the other organ issues, the surgeries he would face, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That would be helpful. Yeah, but we basically, that's what we thought too. And then we got there and they basically said, we have no idea. Some children with special needs, you know, they have severe special needs. It's a life sentence for the parents. Um, they have very low, low uh, life expectancy, a very low quality of life. Other children with Down syndrome have wonderful, fulfilling lives. Um the ones that have lovely, fulfilling lives generally don't have extensive medical, other medical needs um, or issues. Obviously, his organs and main organs were affected and his brain was quite literally being crushed by fluid while it was trying to develop. So he literally would have brain damage as well as intellectual disability. So what that looked like, they had no idea. They don't know. It's it's a lot of guessing. It's a lot of what ifs. Um, and... Back to the old, well, use a young, you can have another baby, this is a fluke, um, it shouldn't, you know, it doesn't, back to the why, you know, why is this happening and, and you know, we would say all the time, why us, why us, why us, you know, and then you just realise, why not us? We're just that one in 47,000, that that one that these statistics were made for because it just happened, it can happen to anyone. It almost makes you think, why do we get those tests done and get those statistics thrown at us when they really aren't? Yeah, we thought that we would have more of an answer of what life will be like. Um, But I think that pregnancy as a whole and, you know, these genetic conditions and stuff, they're still, particularly back then, like it's almost eight years. So they just didn't know and they just couldn't tell us and then – they're asking us, do you want to terminate this pregnancy, which looks like 
it looks like inducing a birth and the baby will die while you give birth. <gasps> That's what that termination is. Or do you want to have a baby, have brain surgery at birth, try and relieve some pressure off his brain, try and deal with the other organ issues and hope that he has a quality of life at the end? Like Those are not good options. They're awful. We didn't want to do either. Like... There's no easy way out at that point. It's not like, and I never, ever want to take away from a woman who has miscarried, ever. I've been on that side too, and I never, ever, ever want to take away from that. But physically, the difference between losing a baby past that point of being a baby, a physical, fully formed 600-gram baby, the logistics and the physical side is not ever talked about and we certainly didn't know about it. Um, and it's so horrific because there's no easy way out. There's no surgery you can quickly have. Or no pill you can no just pill take. pill you can take. It's a baby that needs to be born. That's at the Which end of the day. Which is just another level of horror. Yeah. Yeah, there's no – and that's – we were waiting for like – I think for the the easy like what's the good option here? So so you get these options, you go home with these options. I'm sure you're sitting on these options for as long as you can, but you have a timeline too, you right? Have a because timeline. it's illegal past Yeah. And even so the board of people, the ethics committee or whatever they call a bunch of doctors or whoever they are, I don't, can't even tell you. You the doctors would submit his medical things and they would decide if we wanted to terminate and they would say, yep, we agree or no, we don't, and you can't. So you can still go and say, I want it, and then the panel says, sorry, you want it, but you're not getting it. Determination, yeah. So the, yeah, so you could ask to terminate and them say no. The chances apparently we were told of them saying no would be very, very low, but that's someone else this makes that decision. Mind-boggling. So... Why would they give you an option to make the hardest decision of your life? You make it and then they reject it. Yeah. So the, that's why the abortion laws and things are so much more in depth than what we initially hear on the media and and just see at face value of, oh, a woman's fallen pregnant, they don't want to have a baby. There's actually a lot of further things that go into this and people that are in positions with children with medical needs um, and there's whole new layers. Remembering I'm speaking about this from almost eight years ago. So whether things have changed now or not, I don't know. But Tell me where you land. We firmly sit with the oh, we don't want to make. There's no good decision here. Um, and we bounce back and forwards to are we, we're having this baby, he'll be fine, we'll make it work, we'll do whatever we need to do. You know, we'll get him every every bit of help we need. Um, we cancel the build of our house. We, you know, give the block back, do all of that. Um, and we we're lucky enough that they allowed us, the developers allowed us to do that. Um, and we just bounce together back and forwards because we, we go to wanting to protect him and help him and cure him. <laughs> Um, to are we being selfish and bringing him into this world to have a horrible quality of life because we selfishly want him to be here? Mm. And that's a really hard question to ask yourself and it's a really hard one to get an answer. Like I couldn't un- like I couldn't come to an answer with that. Like I couldn't work out if I wanted him and that was selfish or not. Like I, I couldn't couldn't land on somewhere that I felt okay with. Um, But as time went on, we hadn't, like, we hadn't made a decision to terminate or anything. We wanted to press on. um, But I, I just kept, I had a feeling we weren't bringing a baby home. I just, I kept looking in the nursery and looking at all of that at home and just thinking, I, ca- I can't see myself with a baby at the end of this. It's just, wow. it's not going to happen. Um, and Brad was always, you know, no, no, we're going to get there. It'll be okay. We'll get the surgeries done. Like we'll find the right people. And But I just, I think I always knew that we weren't bringing a baby home. It was just waiting for me to, to you know, accept that. And 
we um we had a scan booked and I felt apprehensive to go. Um, and I kept saying to Brad, like, I don't want to keep having these scans. Like, it's not telling me anything. They're not doing anything with the information. Like, um, and we woke up that morning and I hadn't felt him moving. And I kept saying to Brad, I can't feel him. And he'd say, oh, just take a rest or sit down and see whether, you know, you're just stressed and not sort of feeling him. Um, and then, yeah, and I kept not wanting to go. Um, I think that that was like... That was like the end. I knew that I didn't want it to end. You know that once, once it that we went to that appointment, that was it. Um, it's like and, the the acknowledged like the line in the sand almost. Yeah, yeah. So you felt instinctively that he might have passed. Yeah, I don't even think I, I even let myself think that. It was just that I felt like things would change after that day. Like I just didn't want to go. I just didn't want to go. I just wanted to stay where we were, we were where we were. Um, so we went and they did the scan and his heart had stopped. That only quite quickly they think. Um, and that was it. They told us that we were because we we're under a private obstetrician. We needed to leave the public hospital, go up to the private hospital. Our obstetrician would be called. We'd be induced, and you're going to have this baby. Off you go. Wow. You're getting this done at a hospital. Yeah, yeah. Like what's the assessment time and processing time for you? Because you've just heard potentially the worst news of your life. Yeah. Do you get to go home, have a cup of tea, get to discuss, get to mourn? No, it's just go, go, go. Like you just – you're then on other people's time. Um, So it was just, uh, okay, we we need to induce you. We'll call your obstetrician. We'll let them know what's happened. Um, we're in the public hospital at that stage. We had a private obstetrician. So they just went, okay, up you go to the private hospital and, um, you know, speak to the girl at the desk, tell her who you are, and off you go. Hang on. I just don't understand that. That just say like, I understand that hospitals are busy and they make a lot of money and the times and the shifts and things, but... What if you don't want to do the next step right away? It's just, it's not a two-way discussion. Like we were just told what was happening next and we didn't know enough about anything to question or feel confident in speaking up or like not even Brad who would normally advocate for my well-being during all of it. Um, he, We just didn't even know that. There was another way. Like, well, it sounds like a huge amount of shock. So when yeah. you're in shock, you're not looking how to question. You're just things. being guided. We're just putting one foot in front of the other and just doing what they're telling us to do. Like, so you're there. You've obviously got other things planned in the day. You were going to leave and do. Yeah, and go shopping. And- <laughs> You've been told, okay, this is your your new life. Now yeah. you're going to be put into this room, and what? So you're going to go into the maternity ward with all the newborn babies. A and normal maternity. completely normal maternity ward because they need to have midwives with us. So that's where you go. So they, you walk into, you get to the hospital and ask for the maternity ward and you walk up together and tell the, the midwife who you are and, you know, they tried, they put us in the very room, the end room at the very end of the corridor and then said, okay, we'll come back soon. And we listened to all the other parents, all the families walking in with balloons and flowers and siblings coming in to meet their, you know, their babies. And it's it's a private hospital's maternity ward. It's very small. It's very loud. It's like a newborn baby cries, pierce the room, you know, and we're just popped in there with a the TV and went, okay, we'll be back. We'll let you know when your doctor gets here. But I'm so I'm wondering because I've I know people that have been able to that have had miscarried and taken a tablet and that just like forces the baby to um, come out. Yeah. And I've um, had two curettes for uh, a miscarriage that was stubborn. Um, at what point can't you do that anymore? Do you know? I'm not sure, but at 28 weeks, it's a full baby. Like. <sighs> When right. they're born, 
they will try to save its life. Right. You know, like he's a premie baby. Um, I didn't know that either. Like I knew what I could see on the ultrasound, but I didn't know what he was going to look like when you he was born. You can't imagine that. No. And I, you know, and they were telling us that he had all these issues and things wrong with him. So I was scared to to see him when he was, you know, like I – I didn't know what to expect and nobody tells you. And I kept saying to the nurses, like, we haven't done the birth course. I don't know. How do I know when I'm in labor? How do I know how long this is going to take? When can I go home? Like, I'm thinking, like, we'll be out at dinner time, right? Like, it's like lunchtime at this point. But at this point, do they say to you, you you can, um, we can just put you under, you can have a C-section, that'll be less traumatic? God, no. You don't even... They don't even tell you. Well, they didn't with us. I'm, you know, I hope this is not the case anymore. But it, it's just you're just being told the next step now, the next step now. But you what know, if you don't want to do it? We didn't feel like there was a, there was a choice or a, it wasn't a two way discussion. It was just this is what's happening next. And the doctor came in and he said, "Okay, we'll start." And I said to him, "I think I did say to him." that I wanted a cesarean, that I said, I don't want to have to do this. I don't know how. Yeah. I, you know, I've not done the class. Like I kept thinking, I haven't done the class. Like I don't know how to give birth. Um, I don't want to. Like I don't want to. I want to go home. Um, and they just were like, no, it's fine. You're healthy, young. You're going to have other babies. You know, you need to have a natural birth now. That was it. They, you know, they can't give you any kind of pain relief. You can't <gasps> have an epidural because Why? you then – it stops an induction, you know, so when they're trying to get my body to take, my body was resisting oh, it. It slows it. It slows it down. and So then you're also in excruciating pain. Yeah, full labour. So it's Thursday lunchtime and he was born on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. So at some stage I kept saying, now can I have the epidural? Like I don't feel like I should be here, here doing this. in pain when I'm getting nothing out of it, like, and it's funny because now having other births and that's what they say to you. Like our midwives used to say when we were in labor with the other boys, like think of the reward at the end. There was no reward for us. You know, that that meant that it was all over. Like the second he was born, that our, our pregnancy and our journey with him was over. Um, and I think that my, I hadn't, emotionally even started to deal with it so it was a very out-of-body experience for me like thinking about his birth now it's like I'm standing next to Brad looking at myself doing it I don't feel like that was me it's like a huge coping mechanism because I don't know if someone told me or anybody else listening to this to do that how you would mentally prepare no and I don't I like people say to me, I couldn't do that. And I'm like, I could, I feel like that now. I couldn't do it. Like, but I did. I don't know how. I don't know. <sighs> I I feel, I honestly feel like my brain and my heart sealed itself and protected me through that. And I remember like, you know, before labor ramped up that we were just sitting on the bed together watching Ellen just, just and we didn't even talk about it. Brad and I didn't even speak about it because we couldn't even form words and we didn't want to be the other, the one to set the other one yeah. off or to even, we just, you just. So so at this point, had you even acknowledged the heartbeat stopping and having a deceased No, we child? didn't even have time. Like, have, so like, there's no processing. Just, no. And Brad and I are quite, um, like I'm one of these people, if I want something done, I want it done yesterday. It's yeah. very one foot in front of the other, let's just keep moving. So. Yeah. By them telling us what to do, we were like, great, we've got a purpose. We've got something to do. That's our job. Let's do it. So go to the hospital. We're like, okay, got in the car. We just drove straight there, you know. What happens then when you know at the end of this pushing you have to see, you have to face this little baby? Yeah, I was terrified. Um and we didn't know what he was going to look like. Like nobody said to us, your baby is a perfectly formed little baby. He, If he was born alive now, early, we'd try and save his life. Yeah. We, um, You'll see ten little fingers and ten little toes and you will see, like nobody told us that. Um, 
it was just he was born and I was too scared to even look. Um, what we what were you fearing that he just wouldn't look like like a baby? Yeah, you just don't know. Like babies just aren't born then. Um, and I just buried my head in Brad's and. I felt as he was born, I felt them move away and they sort of said, look, take a few minutes, have a shower, do all of that and then we'll clean him up and we'll bring him back in. And um, What were you anxious? I was so anxious. And then once they brought him in wrapped wrapped up like they wrap newborn babies up oh. in a bassinet, you know, like a cot bassinet and brought it in, um, then the mother in me took over and I just picked him up and cuddled him and and – the you know it's my baby it was perfect little baby he was absolutely perfect was that the moment that it was real i think so that's when i like i think that we felt we were so scared to acknowledge it or to to see him and once we held him then it was real he was our baby there was absolutely nothing wrong with him in our eyes. He looked like every other baby. Like there was no, um, there, there was nothing wrong with him. It, it was just then we moved into trying to protect him the best we could, Like, which was the only way I knew how to do that was to avoid him going to a hospital morgue because I'd been there time and time again and the thought of them putting that tiny baby that weighed 580 grams, like the the thought of them putting him into a big morgue freezer just absolutely so traumatic for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Brad started calling around and we found the white ladies' funerals and the woman was so kind and she said, like, I'm coming, we're coming to get him now. We'll come and get him right now. Um, and you can go and you can come and say goodbye properly at the funeral home where it's a nicer environment because we just I just needed to get out of that hospital. How how long from the birth, like how long do you get to stay with him? So we weren't really rushed out, um, but I really needed to go. Like I just wanted to jump out the window like yeah. and just get out of that room. Like we had been in that room then nonstop for three and a half days. Like we hadn't moved. Um, so we're probably a couple of hours um, and then the obstetrician came in. He gave me a tablet and said, this will stop your milk coming in um, and then said, oh, look, he goes, oh, I'm very sorry. It's very sad, but it would be sadder if you were older because you can just go, you can just try again. And I just oh my remember God. thinking like I just oh couldn't even God. yeah. So Brad, Brad just left knocked him out pretty close. <laughs> Literally said to him, "You need to leave right now. You need to get out. Like get out of our room right now." I was just like, it didn't even his little life didn't even matter to an obstetrician. Like I yeah. Like I just don't know how anyone could be that cruel, but that and that and then we just had to leave. I just had to get out of that room. And so you you get to go, and now you have to figure out. So we lived in Cronulla, and we lived in a tiny little apartment across from the beach, right on the beach. It was like we loved it so much, and. Every morning we'd sit, like, stand at – we didn't have a balcony. It was tiny. Like, it was like this tiny little porch bit and we would stand there and watch the waves every morning. And we lived across from where the footpath was. So as we drove home and it's, like, the weekend, so we got there and it's the beach, you know, it's Saturday night and then in the morning it was Sunday morning. So the beach was full of every family in Sydney every pregnant belly, every pram, you know, and I just remember looking at them all and just wanting to scream, like, don't you know what's just happened? Like the whole world has stopped and nobody else stopped, just us. Like, and it was, we ended up moving because I just couldn't be there anymore and, you know, I wanted to punch every pregnant woman I saw. (laughs) walk past and I just kept thinking and I don't know what their struggles had been you know but at that point it was like how come you know why us why me why me why us like um 
And, yeah, that's when, you know, we realised why not us, why we're not any different to any of these people and you don't know what other people, you know, what they've been through. But at that moment it was just unbearable that other people could be out enjoying the sunshine and why why the sun was shining. Like it was a sad day. And then that week was just lost in funeral preparations and telling people. Oh, tell me about that because that's the thing that would be so difficult is retelling the story of it not, you know, the baby isn't with us anymore. And people don't want to to accept it. So the first response is always, no, why? What happened? Like, and you're like, it's just happened. That's just what's happened. Like... Um, thank God for social media because Brad just put a post up on mm. his Facebook and went, this is what's happened. He was born last night. We'll let you know what the funeral details are when we get them. And we then just pretty much avoided everyone not in our inner circle um, because we just, we just couldn't. It's too much. And it's great. Like you feel like you have to comfort other people and – yeah. You can't just, like, get lost. Like, it's such an unnatural grief, I think, for a parent to lose a child. It's such – it's so unnatural. And people try and form on things that, you know, they'll try and find a positive to try and reassure someone when they're going through grief. And, you know, if they were sick, they've, they're at peace now. Like, there's there's always a, a line and there's nothing with a baby. Um, and we didn't want to hear it. <laughs> and – we then felt like we had to keep telling people, we're okay, it's okay, yep, he's in a better place, yep, he, we didn't want him to suffer, when really we're That's like, not no. That's true. You're fucking we, angry. Yeah, so angry. And so, so angry. So, so sad. Yeah, just, I just, yeah, I and I just would cry a lot and it would just consume my every, every part of my body and – Brad could identify that that's how I needed to deal with it, but that's not how he deals with it. Mm. So he took on the role of looking after me. Yeah. Um, and I think he pushed a lot of his grief to the side because he needed to carry me through because he just watched his wife go through three days of this and he felt so helpless. I could see that he felt so helpless and I know he felt that he needed to advocate for me, mm-hmm. but didn't know what that looked like either um, or what he should be doing or saying. or um, So, yeah, he would j- hold me when I cried and he would he would be there and be that space and then he would be like, I'm at my point, I need to go to the gym, like I need to go. And I would be like, no, you can't leave me. Like he's like, oh, just one hour, just give me one hour and then I can be who you need me to be. Like I just, yeah, and I think that's that was his way of getting out that emotion. Mm. Um, also very self-aware that he knew what he needed to be there for you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I, yeah, and I think that, yeah, like I had obviously had to do the heavy lifting for the birth. And then I was done. Like I just fell into a mess and I was like, "That's I'm done with everything. We went to the funeral home and we visited with him and they had him dressed and wrapped in a bassinet um, in like a lounge room setting um, and a charity called Heartfelt, which is like photographers that volunteer their time, mm. came and she said a friend organised it for us and we said, no, we don't want photos. And she went, you will. You will want them. Just let me gently organise this and then we'll just put them away. And, um, and yeah, I'm so grateful that she did that because we did definitely, we wanted them, you know. And um, so she came and got photos and we just, then we said goodbye. Like we put little things in with him um, and, yeah, it was our moment to go, okay, this is, this is this is the goodbye because the time at the hospital I just don't even that's not was you know just just too horrific to have as our last moment you know was that moment and this is a weird word to use but was it loving and was it nice yeah it was it was 
you know, we would just just sat there and cuddled him and talked to him and you know, it looked at him like like you do with your newborn baby, you know, that he had Brad's little duck lip, you know, that pops up and um and all the little features that went, This is our tiny baby. You know, we needed to have that moment with him. Um and then, yeah, we organised the funeral and I remember because the only other funeral I had been to was my pops mm-hmm. and I remember them saying how many people would carry the coffin. I remember them working out like the six people or whatever. And um, so when she said to us, Brad, will you carry the coffin? And we said, oh, how many people? Like because we're working out. And, she's, and she just looked so sad when she said it to us. Like she just said, just one, just one will need to. And... I remember thinking, because it's a baby, like, he's tiny. So, And yeah. I think for anybody that has had to go to a child's funeral, there is nothing sadder no. than that. And the tiny, tiny little coffin, there's something, yeah, there's just something... Um, I don't know, just so cruel about that whole yeah, experience. It's so not right. It goes against every natural order of the world. Like, yeah, so, and I just, like, I remember thinking, like, and Brad's like, yep, I'll do it. And I remember thinking, like, how are you going to do that? Like, you can't do that. Mm. That's just, that's more than anyone can do. Like, mm. and, um, yeah, and the day of the funeral, he carried that tiny coffin up that aisle on his own. Like, I couldn't even walk, never mind walk with him. Like, and I felt Whoa. later, I felt like you should have been there with him. Like, he had supported me through everything. Why I couldn't even walk next to him while he did that? I mean, that is excruciating to do in I, itself. I couldn't even watch him do it. Like, I couldn't even. I was sitting there and, you know, you all stand up and the music starts and I saw him and I just, my heart just was like, this is too much. Like that's the man you love holding the baby you created with love. Like there's no way that this is okay. Like it's just so unfair. And not only did he carry him and he placed him, he then spoke for us. Oh, my goodness. And it was the most beautiful thing like and I I still don't know how he managed to speak for us in that way like that did him justice and that told the world like this is the end of our world right now like this is all of our hopes and dreams all of our our next step our us as a family like that's what this little boy represented and he's been snatched away and it's not fair. Mm. And, you know, we, yeah, we would have fought to save him and to protect him and we just couldn't. There's just nothing, you know, we, we're here anyway. And him doing that was such a gift for me because I feel like it would have been awful if nobody spoke like mm. if that or if it wasn't him even if he had wrote it but not we thought you know maybe somebody else could say it for him mm. but like looking around the church nobody was in a position to be able to speak never mind him like I yeah I and yeah so much has happened in a very short period of time yeah. what do you do what do you do to recover what do you do to work through some of this grief? Yeah. So we booked tickets to Bali and we're like, we'll be back when we're back because we just just couldn't handle all the sadness. Like we we had the funeral and it was so incredible and I always say now like, there is nothing that man could do that would make me not love him and him to be a part of my world forever. Like how we got through that together and how he got me through it and the gift he gave me at the funeral for him. Like there's just nothing that he could do that would mean that we wouldn't be a part of each other's world now. Like we're joined forever. Mm. Um, 
And then we just needed to get away. And we just had to do it just together because everybody else, you feel like you're comforting them or you're saying you're okay, you're convincing them of things and and not by at their fault at all, just, just the way it is. So we just left <laughs> and we just, yep. Yeah stayed in beautiful places and and just reconnected with each other and and found healed yeah yeah and smiled and had nice times again because I think it felt like it wasn't real anymore and it wasn't you know yeah. wasn't as in your face and being in our house and yeah. in our life how do you then oof, even think about having another baby and how do you go through a pregnancy and a birth again? Yeah, it's so anxious. Like, because then they, they start with their numbers again and they're like, well, you were the one in 47,000 with Buddy, but your chance of that happening again is just one in 100. So I'm like, so it's very low risk. And I'm like, really? Like one in a hundred to me sounds like a done deal mm-hmm. if we were the one in 47,000, right? So I was desperate to fall pregnant again. like Quite quickly. Yeah. Like I just wanted to be like, okay, we've lost him, but we are going to have more kids. We're going to move on. You know, we're, we're going to get our, they call it a rainbow baby, a baby that's born after the storm, you know? And it's it's all about that. You know, the storm isn't taken away by the baby being born. And, you know, the, by the rainbow appearing, the storm isn't any less horrific and any less devastating. But there's a reason at the end to smile, that it's finished and there's a new new light, new hope, new beginning. Um, and, yeah, so we fell again quite quick and that we lost that baby very early on. Yeah, I woke up and started bleeding and having really bad cramps. I thought, oh, my gosh, I just knew straight away. We went into the obstetrician and they scanned. They went, yeah, it's it's very early and I think we're pretty sure you're miscarrying, which I did. Um, and then I just felt like I always remember thinking back then that if we had other children, I wouldn't be so heartbroken. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be so consumed by it and by um, it wouldn't be so unfair. I just kept thinking it wouldn't be so unfair if I had another, if I already had a baby because then I had a baby, like I had what we wanted and I could deal with it better. But I kept feeling like we're never going to get there. That's never for us. This is our life. It's just going to be us and that's it. That's our story. Um, We're now... I can't imagine going through that and having to parent at the same time. Like that to me is just horrific. Mm. I can't imagine having to explain that to my boys now or, you know, or yeah, or even contemplate how we would have dealt with things also parenting at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I guess there's good and bads to both, right? But we were very much stuck in that. It's never going to happen for us. Um, And that was really sad. Like it was a really sad place to be stuck. Especially as such a young couple. Yeah. And that's what I keep saying. You're just so young. You're so healthy. You'll get there. And we're like, well, will we? Mm. (laughs) Because we're the one in 47,000. We're, you know, now the one in 100. Like it's just not getting better. Like your odds just keep getting worse. Um, So, yeah. So then we fell with Knox and... It was such an easy pregnancy, I think. Um, With their trips to the vomit being on the way to work still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. same bin. And, um, I was actually joking, but that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, same bin. And then like around that second trimester, I just felt so good. And um, and yeah, and but the birth was horrific. It was... Um, Talk to me about that though, because I'm sure there is triggers of trauma even though you know you've had a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby, every scan would be terrifying. Then birthing. Yeah. Tell me about. Just so much anxiety. Even before the scans, I got to the point where, you know, they classify you as high risk. So you're already on edge, you know, you're high risk. They, every time you see, they look at your notes before they assess you for the day. They're like, oh, like, oops, stillbirth. It's, It's there. Like, that's a big deal. 
And I would be so scared the second, like, so you would turn up for your appointment. They're always running late. I'm like hyperventilating into a bag, like at this point. And what do you do? Say to the person, every person you ever meet, oh, hi, my last baby was a stillborn. So if you could just hurry up and get me in there, that'd be great. Like, and then they'd put the thing on and then not say anything. And I'd say, is he okay? Is he alive? And they'd sort of look at you and go, yep. And I'm like, straight to the heartbeat. Like, don't give me these foot, like, yeah. straight to where it matters. Like, um, so I found my voice in his pregnancy a little bit. You've been here before and you yeah. know you need to birth this healthy baby. Yeah. So it's the same hospital. Oh, God. By chance or on purpose? Because we had the obstetrician uh, attached. So you're in the same, same private hospital, in the same maternity suite, same ward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then tell me the moment that you hear that cry. He was born. He didn't cry when he was born. And I felt them pull him out and up um, where I, I don't know what happened with Buddy and I don't even know if Brad would know because I don't, we didn't look, but I felt him fall out of me, like where Knox was pulled. I could feel that they had pulled him out and Brad was there and all of that, but he didn't cry. And I, Brad came back up to me and I literally said to him, he's dead. And he's looked at me and he's like, no, he's fine. And I'm like, no, he's dead. And I don't even remember saying that, but Brad told me after. We'll never forget it. Yeah. I'm sure I said, he's dead, isn't he? Or he's dead. I just, and then he cried and I just, like, was just beside myself. Like, he just, yeah. Lost it. Just, yeah. He's just, and, yeah, he'll always, I love all of my boys, but he stuck our hearts back together. Like, he, the minute he was born, the world was okay. Like, a tragedy had happened We'd lost our baby, but he was there and he... And that is so incredible because that doesn't happen for everybody. No, no. They don't get another chance. That's right. Yeah, we're incredibly lucky to have him. And I think that that being so consciously grateful is something that I have in my everyday life, you know. Can you tell me, do you do things for Buddy still? to keep his memory alive? Do you talk to your boys about him? We we do in our own ways. Um, we haven't spoken to our boys about him yet. Mm-hmm. I, Our first, our oldest boy is the most empathetic, compassionate little boy that I feel like telling him will break his heart into a million pieces and I'm – we're not at a stage where we can deal with that yet, I don't think. Um, I also think that I rationalise it by that's like our old life mm. um, and our life with our boys is our new life mm. and it feels like when they find out, which they will, we will tell them eventually, but when they know those worlds come back together and then it becomes our reality again now um, and even, you know, Eight years on, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Yeah. Yeah. We like we do something for his birthday every year. So we we do a very conscious family day. So whether it's we go to the zoo or we do something a little bit different, even if it's just go to the beach and have dinner or something, but we always do something as a family, as a whole, of our way of being like acknowledging what we have mm. and what it took to get here. Um but yeah, we haven't had the conversations yet. Yeah, it's early days. Yeah, Knox is just like Knox is six, so we're we're getting to that stage. But if there is a woman or a family, a couple listening to this, that perhaps has gone through something like this, or may, is there anything in retrospect that you would want them to know? I think that, like, people ask that all the time and, like, what do I say? Or, like, there's nothing you can say or do. Um, 
I'm a really practical person. So the things I appreciate the most looking back are the people that linked me with things that really I treasure to these days. So Heartfelt is the most beautiful charity that photos can be taken and they can be put away if you're not ready. I know that most parents will say, I don't want photos. We did. Um, and they say, we know, but we're just let us take them and let us just put them away. And then if you come to me in 10 years' time, if you come to me in a day's time and say, I want them, they're there. Mm. Um, we also had fingerprint impressions made on jewellery mm. um, and things like that. So later on down the track, when you're not in such a crisis, you have physical things. Yeah. But I think when you're trying to support a person – who has lost a baby, I know that a lot of people say, like, I don't want to talk about it with you because I don't want to remind you. Mm. And I think that you, like, I've never forgotten about Buddy and I will never forget about him. When you speak about him to me or you open that conversation, you're reminding me that his life mattered Mm. and that he's left a print on this world. And I think that a lot of people are scared to speak about them or speak about, you know, speak their name to the parents because they don't want to upset them. And it's, you can't, you won't ever upset them. They may cry. They may show emotion when you speak about them. But if you never speak of them, they'll, they just feel, you feel like the whole world has continued on and nobody else cares. Like there's no acknowledgement where yeah. you just want them to acknowledge your child yeah and I think every parent wants them to have some kind of you know your child to have an impact on other people not just yourself like because they're your whole world but it's when other people acknowledge things that it validates that for you um and yeah people I think it's just important to keep checking in with them and keep let them know that that little life matters because generally if you're touched by the loss of a child you will think about it a lot, you know, no matter how close that person is to you, it it touches your heart. You can't, you know, you can't not. So if the parents don't know that you're thinking about them, then they don't at least have that source of comfort. Can you tell me about, is it cuddle cots? Yeah. So Can you tell me about them? Yeah. So we've started fundraising with the Bears of Hope who do really beautiful things in this space. Um, and so when you leave the hospital, you get – like a little bag and in the bag is from Bears of Hope. They have like a few sport documents and numbers you can call um, and a bear. And the little bear is always donated in memory of another child that had passed away. So they have these cuddle cots. So a cuddle cot is a little bassinet um, that go at the hospitals and they have a cooling mechanism inside the cot. So when the baby passes, the baby goes into the cuddle cot and can be kept cool. So things slow down obviously there's natural order and and when you pass away you need to be kept cold um so that does that without baby needing to go to a morgue without needing to go away from the parents so then you can choose to stay in the hospital with the baby for a couple of days if you know parents choose to now and actually have that time you know so the cuddle cots they're giving parents time and i just i wish we had have had access to that so can we just tell every – we'll put them in the show notes too, but if people feel moved to donate, how yeah. do they do that? Yeah, so you can go onto our campaign through Bears of Hope um, and donate there. The cots are $6,500. Mm. So it takes a, a lot of people chipping in a little bit to get there, but we've raised enough now for one cot and that's been placed in a hospital as we speak. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's – it. <laughs> It's a practical way to help parents who are going to be in our position and mm-hmm. I feel like there's nothing else you can do to help a bereaved parent but time is a huge gift. So we're on our way to donating a second one. So, And we have such an incredible community at The Deep and they will dig deep and let's try and get a third one. Yeah, that would be amazing. Challenging, you guys. <laughs> um, our final question is our universal question. Sarah, who are you when no one's watching? I'm just a mum. Like my – I'm. there's never anyone – there's never a time when nobody's watching. <laughs> <laughs> I have three boys. They're six, four and almost two and they are absolutely the lights of our life and I'm mum. I'm mum 24 hours a day, all night, all day, in up and down, Um and 
just so consciously grateful for what we have now because uh, there was a very, very hard time when I didn't think that this could ever be a possibility, never mind have three perfect little boys. So incredibly blessed. Mm. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.